podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the Anfield Wrap in association with Reds Bet. Reds Bet's tailor-made for Liverpool fans. It's an online gaming platform which looks to seek and build long-lasting relationships with supporters that enable them to share 50% of Reds Bet's profits generated from the bets used specifically for fan courses and other initiatives that matter to supporters. The Anfield Wrap's partnering them with them for the whole of 2018. We're very happy to do so. With me today, I have Fuad Hassan, I have Dan Austin, and I've got Rick McAvoy to talk about West Brom versus Liverpool. But in talking about West Brom versus Liverpool, you have to talk about Liverpool versus Roma, so we'll be doing that as well. And also in talking about West Brom versus Liverpool, and I know it's split opinion as to how much we should do it, but we are going to have a little conversation about the referee in both in that game and in general that Liverpool have suffered perhaps is the right word this season uh, I don't enjoy talking about referees but I think that this might be an opportunity to do so um, West Brom Liverpool first and foremost though Fuad it was a frustrating outcome um, it's a strange game in that we know we still need a certain number of points to guarantee the Champions League qualification but it became I was trying to think of a way in which you know it could become a hugely negative experience. Um, and obviously, if you lose, you never enjoy it. But we managed to sort of find a way to make it maybe a little bit demoralising for supporters, a little bit demoralising for the wider fan base, despite the fact that you might just have, if someone had said before, and listen, you can take this result and get out with no injuries, we might all have said, OK. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think it's one of those that you'd be more than happy to take a 2-0 without playing anywhere near your best and without really even having a spell of domination throughout the game. I, I thought, I mean, throughout the 90 minutes, West Brom... I mean, showed a little bit more going forward than us at certain points. And and I think a couple of our, our players, especially the fullbacks, I know we'll get onto it later, but really struggled throughout the game. And and it is disappointing for the fans to to see a 2-0 lead just capitulate like that. And it's something we haven't been used to actually in the last in the last few weeks. And and you know, you, you've got the usual sort of cranks going on about same old Liverpool. But I mean, to be honest, I think all eyes are on Tuesday and and the intensity of that game kind of showed that. It was. I can't work out, Rick, whether or not it was a whether or not it was. I hate the cliche in football, but I do think it does occasionally apply. We might have scored too early, and in this one, Liverpool get their goal to go one nil up without never really having got into the habit of playing well in the game. And what that means is they go through most of the first half, uh, and in fact, much of the game as a whole, really, but bar maybe one spell after after half time where they never really play well. There's a football match. It's happening. But they're just sort of they're just sort of going through it and, and and seeing how it plays out. Yeah, the big thing I took from the game was we we weren't playing very well. We did what we needed to do in what was always going to be a tricky match. I know I was doing um, the overview show on uh, Tour Player last week and was very bullish about winning every game. Uh, but West Brom aren't West Brom on Saturday and not the West Brom of three weeks ago. They're not the Pardew West Brom. They're not even the Poolish West Brom. They're a completely different animal and they were always going to get stuck in. They were always going to give it a go. The boost they had off, off last weekend's victory against United was always going to come into play. But we, we, we you could say maybe we, we scored too early, but we scored early. We didn't really, I think they had one or two opportunities that they should have done better bef- with before we made it too. But we still got to the position where with a few changes in the squad, we made it 2-0. So I don't... And even after that, I was I was thinking a five minute, well, a couple of minutes after we scored the second, I was looking, I was cutting through them thinking, this could be anything here. Their heads have gone. We could end up 4-5-0 here. Uh, unfortunately, they got their heads back together pretty quickly. So I think it was a, a case of we have done over the last few weeks just enough in a in a a fair few games. We've done what we needed to do just enough. It looks like we were going along the same kind of route and it just kind of fell apart at the end. It's just enough was was Dan Dan Austin what they looked, looked to be, Liverpool looked to be aiming to produce on the day. And as, as Rick's trying to say, I think that is a bit of a balancing act that you get that right and everyone comes away and says, you know what, hugely professional performance, well done everybody. Mm-hmm you get it wrong uh, or it doesn't go quite as well as you'd like to think or hope, you don't get the points. You can end up not looking a bit daft, daft and overstated, but you can just end up looking like you never really were, were as close to being at the races as you needed to be. And that's, despite even going 2-0 up, that's sort of the, the, the takeaway from that Liverpool performance was we all went to West Brom, we all watched a football match and it was one where Liverpool never quite hit the straps, but it sort of decided that they were all right with that. Yeah, um, I felt 
frustrated about it coming out of the ground. I've, I've, I've mellowed on it in a few days afterwards um, because I've kind of gone back to reality and realised that Liverpool are pretty much still fine in terms of the league and, and that Chelsea have had enough back. But certainly, as as it was sort of capitulating in front of us, um, it felt like... It felt like simultaneously Liverpool didn't deserve to win the match, but also, even though they didn't play well, did absolutely more than enough to have won it for, what was it, 75 minutes? Um, there, 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 there were plenty that didn't play well. It felt like a team that was playing within itself to an extent, um, both kind of as individuals and also as an overall system. Um, I think we saw when Firmino came on, um, Firmino looked like he was not quite furious to have been asked to come on, but just like he was not, he was not interested in the slightest. Um, it was, it was. I think one of the weirdest games of football that I've been to because it, it's we've got this wave of positivity behind us um, as a squad, as a supporter page, as the entire club, um, and and this just felt like a bit of a placeholder match where we all wanted to have a great time. But we couldn't because for practical reasons, it wasn't really something that we could do. We couldn't just send all the good lads out, steamroll them, take it into Rome. And it was, it was never really going to happen as much as we might have wanted to do that. Um, I think it's a crying shame as well because uh, one of my, something I really enjoy, one of my favourite pastimes in life is inflicting misery upon others. Uh, and we had a chance to relegate West Bromwich Albion there and we passed it up, um, which was a real shame, real shame because coming out the ground, um, they're all singing and shouting. I wanted to see the claps to the floor. I wanted to see all of them hit the deck on the on the full time whistle. I wanted to see children crying in the stands. We'd set it up perfectly if we'd have made yeah. it three two. The, yeah. the thing that occurred to me when it went two two was it would be hysterical yes. if we went up the other end and scored now. <laughs> like genuinely, I that was would like, be perfect. Imagine, imagine you could swap that Clavan winner at Burnley for, for West Brom. <laughs> imagine you could have stuck it there and watched watch them all fall to the knees. Um, yeah, it, it, it would have been perfect. And I, do, I do think it's a shame that because um, I, I genuinely think that there's some sort of like psychological power thing going on and stuff like that. I really like when Liverpool get a manager sacked and stuff like that. I think it just makes you feel big, <laughs> like as a club, as a group of players, if you know that you've got the power to do that. Um, but yeah, it was a game where <laughs> Liverpool, were, I think, were the better team consistently throughout it all, but. If we were playing against the size of any real repute or quality, um, we'd, we'd have probably been choked for it. The key goal in the game, Dan, I think, is the. I mean, we, we might have addressed it differently. We've been up against the side with any sort of with any genuine quality, but the key goal in the game is the goal that makes it one-two. Mm-hmm. In essence, in that they were sort of. We have a really good five minutes after 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 they get one back, where we just take the ball up the other end, and I sort of feel as though it would be nice to take that five minutes and put it where we where they make it. They get that one back because. Mm-hmm. That would have just would just killed them to see the other side of it. I think, and I think that we we you know if you're looking at looking at a little bit of finger pointing, I think we can be a little bit better uh, as a collective in that sort of in that in the in the in the five minutes where that goal mm-hmm. happens. You know, when you get to 75, you've took Salah off, he's gone off. The thing you want to sort of see Liverpool do at that stage, you know, in the in the time after after, after no, Salah, sorry Salah goes off at two one, but the thing you sort of want to see Liverpool do at the stage where it's where it's where it's still two 0 is just keep the ball up the other end of the pitch, even if they're not going anywhere with it. Yeah, I think one of the major positives about this Liverpool team over the past few months, as kind of uh, relentless and swashbuckling and exciting as they've been, is how sensible they've been an awful lot of the time as well in terms of managing games because it's something that we've criticised them for for. I mean, probably since the beginning of Rodgers' time. Um, it, it, it's a good few years now, but over the past few months, they've been an awful lot better and it felt like once West Brom got the tails up after after we built up that lead, we kind of played into the hands a little bit. We just kept giving them set-piece after set-piece, which is really obvious not to do. Um, if, if you've got a choice there as a, as a Liverpool player playing against West Brom to get beat by a lad or to take him down and give him the free kick, let him beat you. Because he's not good enough to put a ball in the box, or he's not good enough to to hit the shot from twenty yards and put it to go in. Whereas if you give him the foul, and then all the like seven foot mutants off Space Jam that they've got playing for them come up for the corner, and and you keep giving them that, then it, they're eventually going to make it count. There was no way that West Brom was scoring through a piece of quality in that match, through a piece of skill, um, and. Both as individual players, I mean, towards the end, it looked like the fullbacks hadn't ever kicked a footy in their lives. Um, the, 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 the control, the strapping of the football was awful. But as, as a collective as well, we were getting them, we were allowing them territory that we didn't need to be giving them. Yeah, no, I think uh, 
going the fullbacks for certain were two of the weakest players on the pitch. I think down the left side, especially Moreno, really struggled against uh, Phillips, and and also I think I don't think he got much help from from I think it was Milner playing down that side, and and just generally they were getting beaten a little bit too easily. And you know, like you mentioned with the set pieces, that's essentially their way of turning the screw. You know, we, we can talk about Liverpool keeping the ball and playing nice football it, deep in the opposition half with all these one twos, but for a team like West Brom corner after corner is, is really adding pressure. So, so yeah, it was, it was bound to come. But, I mean, at the same time, I think looking back in the game, I think that second Danny Ings chance, um, it was just before half-time, I think it was around about 40 yeah. minutes. I think that was key because, you know, you get that goal and half-time, I mean, the team talks change immediately, especially for West Brom, and, and they're going to be pretty down. And I think the whole atmosphere around the ground, especially the home fans, would have changed after that. Well, the the other element of that, if you if if you give them forty five minutes to come back from two goals down, with their mind thinking we need to win this game, and you've still got Salah on the pitch, then it's it's a completely different second half because they're mm-hmm. going to have to throw everything at you. On the on the fullbacks point, I think I think their wide men were 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 pretty impressive in terms of being able to get the ball down and and run past a player. And I think once they'd both uh, McLean and Phillips done that a few times, it resorted to Moreno and Gomez both going, he's going to get past me here. I don't want him to get past me. I'll just take him down. Because we've been so good at defending set pieces for, well, since Van Dijk came in, it's it's almost, you, you see it when we concede a corner or a free kick where previously everyone had looked nervous. You now generally see Carrius walking out shaking hands, giving them a high five, whatever, well done, getting out of danger, because we feel fairly confident in that. One thing that probably stuck out for me, where we've been keeping such a high line, and, and I know uh, people have said that the Carriers wasn't wasn't great on the, the second goal, and I know, I think, Neil, you wanted to touch on that later, but the thing for me that stuck out most about that second goal was Lovren breaking the line and Lovren playing everyone off, uh, onside. You've got the line just outside the 18-yard box. Just before it comes in, Lovren breaks towards goal and he plays three of them on side, at which point you, your entire uh, methodology that served you so well for the last four months is... Go on. On that as well, um, the only reason Lovren is is there to play them on side is because he's been brought on with 10 minutes to go. Um, and he does, he does that a lot. He makes that change a lot, doesn't he? Um, and he's made it in some games and it's worked, it worked at Crystal Palace and he's made it in others where it hasn't. I remember Clavon came on in the Chelsea home game and uh, William sort of fluky shot comes from him not being closed down by Clavon. Um, and I've been in grounds and I've watched him make that change and I've, I've, I've watched on the telly and I've never once thought it makes us look any more solid. It doesn't make me feel any more confident. I don't think it makes them look any more confident because when we're defending that set piece then, even though in theory you've got an extra big lad, you've got an extra lad who knows how to defend, the setup of them's changed. Um, and it might only be for 10 minutes and you might think there's only going to be two balls into the box here but it just means that for that last 10 minutes they've got to think again whereas for 18 minutes they've well, been lining up in the same yeah, way was, on that one, one they've, things, they've, yeah. they've now got to go oh no I've got to, I've got to stand five yards further back because he's going to take him well, now and it just what I it seems to throw the rhythm off if when Lovren makes that run is does Lovren think because he completely unmarked the lad mm-hmm. and I don't know if Lovren thinks oh god I'm in the wrong place or if Lovren thinks oh god no one's in that place and someone should be yeah. and am I disrupting and then Lovren goes I'm going to go and sort this out in a very deja Lovren way and as you say he then plays everyone on doesn't get that I mean the fact that he's making a 10 yard run Sprint. I, I think it's the fault yards. of the system as opposed to the fault of an individual player, and that yeah. makes me think: was it really worth making that change? I completely see the arguments about it, but it simultaneously makes the way in which you defend different, whether you think it's going to be better or not. And it also means that it's um, harder to keep the ball further up the pitch because you've got one less lad. There. But I think what they were, from what I've seen from the switch to three at the back over the last couple of months, it seems to be a case of if the opposition's fullbacks or wingers are getting too much ball on the flanks and pushing us back, it's, it's an opportunity to push our full-backs forward and have them in, well, in, in the, the instance of, of Saturday, maybe have Moreno and Gomez not being just outside our box when they're making those tackles yeah. if they have to. I think he is. I think he is trying to. I think that becomes his change to protect the full-backs. I think it's really interesting that Firmino comes on and goes left. So the idea that Firmino might be charged with, can you give Moreno a bit of a hand, Fuad? And then the other thing that he does as well is, I think he thinks, I think he's actually bringing Lovren on past because he thinks aerial bombardment. But also he's thinking, well, 
both fullbacks are playing really poorly. You can argue Clavin isn't playing at all well by this point in the game because I think Clavin fades as it wears on. And he's probably thinking to himself, I've got one sub and I can't sort everything. So if I do this, does this give people enough cover? And someone said that to me in the post-match show and I think it stands up as an argument throughout. But both fullbacks are the problem, I think, in the second half of the game. Both fullbacks are toiling. And then as I say, I think Clavin doesn't so much toil as just fade a little bit. He looked like a footballer who just hadn't, hadn't had much football. Exactly. And I think... I think sometimes in these sort of games where you've got where you've got wingers for West Brom and fullbacks who are who are bombing up and it's a it's a complete different threat to what you'd see from a side like Man City or Arsenal or whoever else in sort of the top six who try and play a little bit more football in that sense. I think I think the problem they get is they're so direct that once once I think like you mentioned earlier, Rick, when when they get the better of a, when they get the better of the fullback, it, it's sort of kind of especially for a player like Moreno, it kind of gets stuck in his head and and you, you don't see him very often kind of digging himself out of out of, sort of poor patches and games, which is something where I think it's really important he needs to try and find a way of doing so as he kind of matures and grows as a player. I think it's also really interesting down the right-hand side with Gomez. I think the manager before the game must have been left sort of with a huge problem because I think he planned a week ago that Klein would be playing this game. And I think Gomez's injury, uh, Klein's injury probably came at, one of the worst points, not just for himself in terms of getting himself back in the team, getting himself, you know, within a shout for England, but also generally for Jürgen's plans and how they're going to move in this sort of congested pack of games. He talks a lot about rhythm, the manager, uh, Dan, and one of the things I think you see is first that these lads both aren't in rhythm, but the other thing is the way in which they have a difficult game is quite uncharacteristic of both of them. We've seen this season, Moreno's broadly speaking played well, played mm-hmm. sort of six, seven out of ten. If anything, he's been surprised in the six, seven out of ten. But he doesn't have an Albi Moreno stinker. I think he has a stinker, but he doesn't have one of his trademark stinkers, if you see what I mean. For me, it felt almost like he was he was almost being, at times, almost too conservative. He was almost being a little bit playing within himself because yeah, he was concerned. Exactly. And I think that tells you a lot about even Gomez. I don't think I think we've seen Gomez have bad games, have bad 10 minutes where he gets stuck onto the ball. It's like nothing will go for him. That wasn't really what was happening either. I think both of them just genuinely looked like footballers who hadn't played much football. Yeah, the strength with Alberto Moreno, even when he's having a poor game and even when... Uh, there's, there's a gap in Liverpool's left-back position and he's 30 yards up the pitch just sort of wandering about like a lost child in a supermarket, is that he's going to bomb on down the line. He's going to give you a bit of width. He's going to give you a bit of pace no matter what. He's got he's got the physical attributes that mean he is a man that, that, that's on the pitch, that stood up the pitch, that means he creates a bit of space for Sadio Mane. Um, but he wasn't giving us any of that. It, it, it wasn't like he was legging it up the pitch and then he was getting caught out on the break, which is what you typically expect of him. It was the... He was barely getting past the halfway line. He, d- he didn't look like he was interested in that. Um, and m- maybe once it goes 1-0, they get told to sit in a bit and not to exert themselves too much or, or something like that. But it didn't feel like the way he should be playing. And, and as you say about Gomez, first half, I actually thought that he defended quite well. They, they were trying to get over the top of him a few times and he got little nicks on the ball, sent it out for the corner. Um, he, he, he was getting in the way of Jadu Rodriguez when he was peeling off towards the back post a few times. Um, but then the, the 20 minutes he had at the end... The, the 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 sort of weakness that everyone comes to with with Joe Gomez is that he doesn't give you an awful lot going forward, but he's a, he's a he's a competent defender and um, he'll get you to the ball when he needs to, kind of thing. But he, he couldn't trap it, he, he he couldn't control it. It was like uh, it was like he completely gone to panic stations, and that was again to, to contrast it with the Bailey game. Um, the the issue with him there was that it looked like his concentration went for a, for a split second, whereas this one, it didn't feel like his concentration, it felt more like his nerves. And I know that that's a sort of subtle distinction, but it felt more like, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't just that he, he lost his mind for an incident, it was the, the goal went in and the ball started coming down his side and he wasn't getting much help. And I mean, there was one where he, he, he tried to sort of, he got the ball past him and he tried to like flick it over his, over his own man, didn't he, towards... Um, towards the West Brom goal and it, it just rolled off his foot out for the throw-in and it was a really, really basic thing and you, you don't expect that kind of mistake from him. So my my view on the uh, the full-backs, I think Gomez only came back into full training is kind of the point that uh, I think Fuad was making earlier about Klein's injury. Uh, Gomez only came back into full training on Friday or Thursday late on. So it's it, he's... It's quite understandable if his if his legs go, if his reactions, his touch drops off for the last twenty minutes. On Moreno, I think you saw in the first twenty minutes he couldn't keep up with Phillips. It wasn't so much Phillips doing him with a trick and getting past him. It was he was just running past him. 
So I think one of the things about Moreno is he's always confident that he's going to be able to go up the pitch, support the attack and get back whenever he needs to. That first 20 minutes, he saw he couldn't. So I think that's where he sort of goes into himself a little bit, trying to give himself that extra space, trying not to get caught wrong side of Phillips and really ends up doing nothing and getting beat by him all, all game anyway. We talk a lot about, the manager talks a lot about rhythm, so we talk about a lot about rhythm. I think it's fair to say every Liverpool manager sets the tone of the conversation and we go from there. But I think, Rick, when we talk about rhythm, we often talk about, we often think of it in the context of the attacking players. We think of it in the context of rhythmic football, football that goes bang, 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 there you go, back of the net. That's how we think about about rhythm. There is looking at that back four, and I felt the same looking at uh, when we went in the derby, uh, when uh, when Clavin especially played left-back, and it, there was lots of reasons why playing left-back was difficult for him. But it is maybe something the manager will think about next season. He hasn't given, and he hasn't been able to give Gomez that many games last last few weeks and months. He hasn't given Moreno, understandably given Robertson's form, that many games last few weeks and months. Clavin basically played against Burnley, then got asked to play left-back against Everton. Now it's been whacked in here. There is a bit of a thing here, isn't there, that he himself, I'm sure if he was here now, he'd say those boys didn't have rhythm. And that's partially because of the way he selected them. But he'd also say, well, I'm selecting because I'm trying to get results for Liverpool lads and we're in the semi-finals of the Champions League and we're, we're looking all right for top four. So it's 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 a little bit of a he can't do right for doing wrong on the one hand, but on the other hand, being fair to those players, they haven't had any opportunity to build the way in which they want to play football. No, and it's it's across the whole team. It's, it's, it's rhythm in terms of that muscle memory within the squad. It's, it's where you see teams making changes for change's sake. Every every game, a couple of players change. They don't they don't get the chance to build up that those partnerships within the eleven. You know, knowing where the, where your your midfielder is going to be when you get the ball, so you don't have to chew the ball and look for him. Uh, knowing knowing that you have the fitness and the pace to get to get back into position if you need to. And I think the the issue the issue has has kind of become that. When we went out of the League Cup and having gone out the FA Cup as well, is there there aren't any throwaway games, right? There's every game since January, really, since we went out the FA Cup, every game we've played has been a we need to get the result here. So there isn't the opportunity to, oh, you know what, I'll I'll drop Clavin into centre half here because you're, you're building the relationship, a partnership between Lovren and, and uh, Van Dyke. You you don't want to break Robertson's form. You don't want to. Um, you know, get Trent out the well. Right back's been a bit of a weird one because Klein's injury all season, and and then Gomez picking up that that injury on England duty. So the only one he's he's really been able to rotate is the odd one in midfield, and that's players playing the same position, maybe one out of three different every week. So it, it's the fluency that they're lacking, and the game time really, which you can't you. you you can't really look to change it that much. It's the message it sends as well, Fuad, in that the manager, he did his press conference on Friday and he was rightly quite strident. They all matter, all the games matter. We need to get results. We still need to qualify for the Champions League next season. I'm not messing about. We're not messing about. This is what we're doing. This is how this is going to work. Oh, I've changed today, me back for. And, you know, if you are the players there, it's only human. These lads, are the, none of them have ever played in a European Cup semi-final. As I've said in, in something I've written, it's Liverpool's 10th European Cup semi-final. They are naturally, you know, in, in the entirety of Liverpool's history, they are naturally going to. It would be insane if they didn't. You know, they are going to have one eye on Tuesday. It's going to be present for all of them, and it's present in the manager's selection, and he can't argue with that, nor should he. No, exactly. And, and I think, you know, you, you look at, you're talking about the relationships and the rhythm of, of the defence and, and the three changes as well. You've got, you know, a centre-half who's just come in January. Is, you know, he, he's barely been here for four months, five months. And you know the relationship between the fullbacks and the centre halves. We all know, you know, really important to get that communication. You know, Ragnar Klavan, Joe Gomez. How often have they played together? You know, in, that, in those sort of positions. Same with Van Dijk and, and Moreno. You know, who's been injured pretty much for most of the time since uh, since um, Van Dijk's arrived. So, so there's obviously new relationships to be kind of forged and understandings to kind of be made and, and get on the same wavelength. But you know, rhythm, like you're saying earlier. It, it goes throughout the team and because of how fluid this team is and how, you know, how, how the whole team pushes up together and how they pull, pull back together and, you know, Jurgen Klopp goes on and about defending from the front, defending as a team, the the, the players need to, you know, get that understanding and, and I think, you know, you could see that in the midfield a little bit as well with with uh, Henderson, Genie and Milner. It was a midfield kind of lacking that sort of 
the ability to kind of break the lines. And as soon as Oxley chamberlain came on, we, we saw that, you know, a, a, a player could come and carry the ball forward and, and give West Brom a completely different kind of threat to deal with. You know, the, the last thing you, Dawson and, and um, the other side staff want is Oxley chamberlain running past the midfielders and exposing them. And, and they're not going to get that from James Milner or Genie Wijnaldum. So I think that's a really big key, key important point there. Sorry, there was one more point on the defence I wanted to make in that it was technically four changes because Van Dijk switches to right-sided yeah. centre-half. Yeah. So you've got a lad who's been playing left-sided centre-half since he came in. If anything, the relationship on the left-hand side should have been better because pre-January, Clavan and Moreno played a lot together, but they haven't played for four months. There's, there's also something in, I think, in the idea that there's in trying to do it all in second gear, Dan, it knocks that. And and it also knocks that sort of the the structured stuff. So before what was what was being said, you know, when 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 Rick was talking about Lovren coming and coming coming for the goal, Lovren trying to come near post. I think the goalkeeper's seen exactly the same thing that Lovren's seen. And I think that's why the goalkeeper, it's unbe- in many senses, it's unbelievable how close he gets to that head of the goalkeeper because he must be he, he must be thinking, oh God, there's a gap there because he's absolutely, that, he's, that he's that close to the lads, I actually think is really rather impressive. I mean, point about this though is what Rick's just said, that everyone's doing something different. Every single one of them's doing something different. And then when you throw Lovren on, they're all doing something different again. And it is, you know, the manager will say, if he was sat here, he'd say, yes, lads, that's why I talk about rhythm all the time. That's why a boy is talking about rhythm. This is what I'm trying to talk about. I'm talking about football just getting used to playing with each other and being able to do so like it's second nature. Yeah, and we were talking an awful lot about that in the autumn time when he was um, changing maybe two or three a game, when he was doing his, his little spell of rotation. More than that, to be fair to um, yeah. But it, that was in a very different way because that was two or three coming in who played two weeks before um, and who had kind of got to play together as a group and it wasn't that they were being forced in because of injuries and it was never wholesale. Um, we were kind of you know, doing shows at the time on, on tour play where we were talking about what what team we'd be sending out for Stoke away and what team we'd be sending out for Chelsea the, uh, the weekends afterwards and um, loads of us were having an 11 for one game and an 11 for the other because um, they had the squad to do it and, and we were prioritising and he never did that. It was very much a lash of in there and then we go back to the three on the weekends and then Solanke will play in another two weeks' time and the left-back swapped in, in between. You know, Moreno's played the European games and Robertson's <coughs> played the league, whatever it is. Um, this one and, and Goodison the same felt like, just felt like a group of people who weren't sure what each other was doing and I think that's why as the game went on it got a little bit worse in that sense I think you mentioned Clavon faded I think he just I think he just started to look really uncertain of what was going on around him it wasn't that they all suddenly became less good footballers or or were terrified of, of dropping the point and, and losing the place or anything like that because they know what's going to happen after this all those lads that played there know that they've come in for this one and, and then are going to be moved back out again and probably, probably won't play again this season and in some cases might not play for Liverpool again. Um, so it feels it feels unfair to criticise them for a lot of the stuff, but you can only essentially watch, watch what's in front here. And it did feel like for that second goal, the ball gets whipped in and then they all go, Christ, <laughs> like he's, he's there unmarked with the call as mercy. And everyone just sort of lashes themselves in front of it and it doesn't really matter. And to be honest, the, the first one's sort of similar. Um, the ball's bouncing around and everyone throws themselves in front of it and it's 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 pure fortune that it goes in the gap where, where nobody is stood. But those are things that Liverpool criticised for at the beginning of the season and last season. Um, and as Rick mentioned, since Van Dijk's come in and I think since the goalkeeper's changed, that has become an awful lot better. Um, as well as the whole maintaining leads thing has become an awful lot better. It's a shame that that was was shaken a little bit at the weekend, but I think it can be written off. Um, it's, it's certainly not a return to the old Liverpool or anything like that. It's because it's because of the context. It's because of what's come before, what's coming afterwards, and the fact that the majority of the players who were defending that corner didn't know what their consistent roles were supposed to be. Free kick, rather. I think the other element of the first 20 minutes, if, if you think of those players, like Dan's just said, knowing that they're, they're coming in and they're coming in for this game, there's always kind of a, an element in professional footballer who will go, I'll make a mark here. I'll give myself a chance of playing on Tuesday, right? Because you've got to back yourself. If you don't back yourself, no one will, and you never will have got where they've got. I think a couple of those players looking so ropey early doors it's in their heads, oh, I've blown it, I'm not getting mm-hmm. this. I'm not getting my chance on, on Tuesday. 
And I think that kind of colours the, the rest of their game. It's in their heads and they can't really get out of it. I think that's a, that's a good point, is that we're all watching that match on Saturday and we sort of, we want to remove it from the context because none of us are really bothers about it at the <laughs> yeah. end of the day. Um, but the lads that are playing can't. Yeah. Because almost half of them there either are thinking about Tuesday and are think about, thinking about it in a way that that's going to be really good, but I'm not going to be on the pitch. Or there's the other five who are in a sort of similar boat to us who are thinking, just got to get through this one. <laughs> I'm just going to make sure they play well, but that I don't exert myself too much. And then if it felt like those sorts of t- those two things kind of rubbed up against each other a bit yeah. and it just created this kind of, certainly second half, created a bit of a malaise where there was, there was no one to get a grip of it, but there was also quite rightly no one to get a grip of it because they all recognised in various different ways. We're just here to, to play it and go home. Yeah. I mean, the the other element that keeps coming back to me on this one is that we've been so good recently at putting that scoreboard, scoreboard pressure on Spurs and Chelsea. And it just feels like a, a missed opportunity to do the same. I know I'm I'm still fairly confident we're, we're going to finish top four, no, no bother. But if you come out this weekend as Chelsea, 10 points behind us with four games to play, one of which against us, mm-hmm. then there's there's really no room for error. It suddenly feels like you've got to beat Stoke. Yeah. Which in theory isn't hard and you shouldn't be worried about it. But, but it's just another thing you've got to think about and it means that some players are probably going to play that game next week who maybe wouldn't have if it had been West Brom. The only, thing, the only thing I would point out on it and it's the thing that's been sort of missed is that if Chelsea's aim is to finish top four, it is worth pointing out that Spurs are three points behind us with yep. the game in hand. Mm-hmm. That we keep sort of thinking it's us versus Chelsea whereas actually there's another team in the way mm-hmm. and we're also therefore also presuming well they're going to be absolutely perfect between now and the end of the campaign as well which they may not be uh, certainly given the fact that they're now having a little bit of an existential crisis and the goal difference situation so I think it's I'm not I'm not sitting around going oh no we're in real trouble I'm just more of the view that it would just have been nice for had to get it wrapped up and also it would have been nice to crown the two goals that were scored with the victory you know you score two certainly away to the side of a bottom they're each special goals it's Salah getting his 41st of the season which is remarkable but Ings you know, let's that's, that's, that's very much focus on the positives to start with. You know, after everything he's been through in his Liverpool career, to, to, to score that goal early in the game, he looked absolutely ecstatic about it and you can understand why. Yeah, exactly. And I, I watched the game at, at home and you could you could see the, the amount of times he played the replay of his celebration, just how much it meant. You know, it, it was almost as if he scored in the Champions League semi-final himself because he, the relief and just the him looking up to the stars and just sort of, in dreamland almost and i think the the whole team felt that you could you could see the way they all ran up to him and and it was a really it was a really nice moment and i think you know i i keep thinking when i'm looking back at this game i keep thinking about that second chance he had and just if 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 he managed to finish that then i i, I think it could have been four or five just because they would have been so down and, and out and we'd have been able to pick them off like we've seen so many times earlier in the season and, and these away games at brighton and other places where the gaps open up the players are kind of up for up for it. They're, they're ready to kind of hunt the ball down, win it back, and um, it, it would have just been so nice to 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 see him score that second goal, you know, and and also just wrap it up with a big victory and go into Tuesday, you know, all guns blazing and with all the momentum we have. Uh, hello there, those of you who don't subscribe. Neil here. Uh, just heard me obviously present the Anfield Wrap. And we'd like to say to you that there's never been a better time to come on board than this. Liverpool playing fantastic football, but also in the Champions League semi-final. We're going to have all the build-up stuff. Our Under the Light show is going to be there. Got a special preview with Jamie Carragher as well around the game. Jamie's been in to see us. It's always fabulous. Always good to see him. He's come to speak to us as well. Uh, we're going to have loads and loads of stuff prior to the game in Rome as well. We're going to be going over there and capturing as much as we can and getting that over. Plus all the obvious stuff, your previews, your reviews your post-match shows we're going to have that all lined up as well so if you haven't come on board yet with the Anfield Apps player it's £5 a month and you get about 60 additional shows I'll say what I always say the expectation is not that you listen to them all but that you listen to the ones that you like and then you go from there and you enjoy the core football coverage that we put out there around every single Liverpool game uh, it's there for you whenever you want it it's £5 a month it is the Anfield Raps player system uh, come on board come and enjoy it come and enjoy the ride right now with us and the mighty boys in red I mean, it would have been, it, it was actually just really nice to see another centre-forward scoring. Yeah. Because we haven't, we, we, we just haven't, we've had uh, a big Dom trying his hardest to, to not score. Um, and, and Danny Ings coming on, running around or playing out wide 
it was it was just a really nice moment to go, oh, we got someone other than Firmino who can play as a nine who who will put the ball in the back of the net. Like you say, it's a, a little bit frustrating. He, he couldn't follow it up with the second and that his legs fell off. Um, his legs do fall off, uh, Dan, and that's, in terms of, I you know, I haven't got a, that much of a problem with the concept of, you know, if Liverpool go and buy two players who can add to the front three in the summer and if they're both players who play in wide areas. I haven't got a problem with the idea of keeping Ings around the squad. If Firmino can't can't play or needs a rest or gets an injury, the idea you can get one of either one of the two new signings who would rather play wide or sell it to, to go and lead the line. I haven't got a problem with Ings then being off the bench or an option to come and do that as one more body. I haven't got a problem with. What I've got a problem with from what I saw at the weekend was the extent to which the distance is match fitness looked away. And I think it looked a fair bit away against Everton, but he was playing out on the right and it's a bit more of a cleaner job and the way it was a derby and the way the whole game went. I thought there, both halves, I thought you see him really become very ineffective after 15, 20 minutes of each half. Like he just couldn't get near it. And that's that's a long journey back still, even now, towards being able to come in and be able to be a 90-minute nuisance for Liverpool Football Club. Yeah, um, he was he was blown out of his arse, frankly, after sort of fifteen or twenty of, of both opening periods, um, and I, I just don't see what he's ever going to get the games to build up a proper match fitness, match rhythm with Liverpool, um, because you've, you've spoken about the way you know if he stays, he might be used in future there, and it's very much a last resort. Um, maybe playing him in the League Cup. Um, I, I personally would rather always put Mane or Salah or in theory, a new kind of wide forward down the middle and Danny Ings because, um, I mean, he, he, yeah, he, he scored the goal and it was it was quick thinking and I was really, really happy for him because he's been through an awful lot and he seems like a really genuinely nice fella as well. Um, but for the, for the rest of the match, I just don't think that if I'm Hagazi or Pawson, I'm not worried about playing, he's not giving me anything to think about. I'm not worried about what Danny Ings might do next in the way that you obviously are with Liverpool's normal front three, but you also are with a, a lot of players who've just got... They've just got a thing that they're really good at. And whenever I talk to anyone about Danny Ings, um, they, t- they tell me that he's good at running. Um, that's like his main his main selling point. Uh, the whole Liverpool squad is based on running, though, these days. It's literally the prerequisite to, to, to getting a contract. Um, and you've got to have loads of other stuff that you've got out with it. Um, and I, I just don't... As, as, as I say, as happy as I am that he scored the goal the other day... Um, I just don't think he's he's got enough quality about him to ever really be a genuine goal scoring option for Liverpool on a regular basis. I think as as well as that, even he, he's good at running, but he's not he's not got the pace of yeah. our front three. So he, it's like I've not seen in any of the cameos that he's he's come in for like coming on for the last twenty minutes or whatever, or or even in the dive. I've never seen him run away from a player. I, th- I don't know whether. I can I can't really remember that far back because I'm old and my brain's going, but I can't remember him before his injury playing for Liverpool and breaking away from a defender. I I, I just can't remember that, and I just think that's it's it's either you you're really good at the link up play and bringing others into play, or you can burst away from someone as as an, an entry point to being considered for a, a chance in this team. I think also, I think his lack of match fitness didn't really allow him to enjoy the rest of the game. You know, it should have been an occasion where he gets that goal and he's just, you know, on another level for the rest of the game in terms of in terms of intensity. And I think it's really important for a player like him who who does seem to kind of enjoy hunting down the ball, chasing, you know, chasing defenders. Without having that kind of fitness, I think he probably doesn't back himself either. And you can kind of see, just maybe from a bit of his body language, that he wasn't quite... He wasn't quite happy with himself, number one, and, and frustrated just by the lack of fitness. And I guess it's something out of his control, you know, just because of the lack of game time he's had. I think he knew, and I think that that's almost... Yeah. I, I suspect he is. He could be a clever player who can bring players into play. I think you saw a bit of that, that in the first 15 minutes of both halves. I think it's no coincidence. We have our probably our two best spells of the game, to be honest, when Ings is able to contribute exactly how he would like. I think we probably start both halves pretty well. And then you, you sort of see him dismissed, disappear a little bit. And then I think we, we come back into it again when Oxlade-Chamberlain comes on uh, as part of the Ings sub there, that, that Oxlade-Chamberlain supplies something from midfield. I think it's just really, really hard and awkward. I sort of think you could make an argument 
gentleman that the, the, the lads who we signed from Burnley, um, who, for instance, got himself, you know, got himself double figures playing behind a forward, could be someone who could, you know, could really contribute for this Liverpool side. It's just hard to see how he becomes that player again properly, and that's. So you know you do sort of think he's got to be for him to make up for the fact that he isn't Roberto Firmino. He's going to have to be physically at his very very best, mm-hmm. and it's hard to see the journey to being physically at his very very best because he's not going to get the game time to make that an opportunity for him. And it is a bit frustrating. It is a bit sad, but it might well be that as I say, it's it, it is all looking a little bit tough. Um, Salah has been made Player of the Year, um, rightly so. Uh, I think that there's there's some people who want to have a row about it because we seemingly have to have a row about everything. If they'd have gone for Kev De Bruyne, I'd have said sound uh, because firstly it doesn't matter to me, uh, but secondly also Kev De Bruyne has been brilliant all season. Basically, the fact of the matter is that like everything else in football, only one person can be, only one team can win the league, only one person can be Player of the Year. If three players have been boss, it means two of them are going to be able to say, "Oh well, I could have done that," and you just got to go, "Yes, Sam, it's footy, mate." Anyway, he's Player of the Year. Um, um, 41 goals now, Dan, and he wasn't great uh, against West Brom, but he saw the opportunity to come alive, come across the ball, uh, pull it wide onto onto the left-hand side and, and, and dink, uh, yet another dink to finish where he's just the coolest man on the ground. He himself just makes going the football loads more enjoyable. Um, I get I get really giddy when he when he picks up the ball and runs with it. Honestly, it, it, it's like it's like being a child again, watching your favourite footballer. Um, and you can think that sounds a bit weird if you want, but it's essentially what we're all in it for, isn't it? Enjoying ourselves, having yeah. a laugh, getting excited about something that isn't actually important. Um, and he's really good at doing that. The goal again, I mean, in a year's time, we'll all have forgotten it because the result hasn't mattered. And in the pantheon of Mohamed Salah goals for Liverpool, it's down there. Um, but it's absolutely exquisite. It's 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 perfectly timed. He, he, I mean, ben, ben Foster isn't a particularly tall goalkeeper anyway, but he waits for the perfect moment to lift it over him. As you say, it's so cool. The run that he makes in the first place, I know that everyone was talking about Chamberlain's run to, to set it up and then the pass, but it's really clever movement from him, from him as well. And it's another, it's another one of his goals that I'm really frustrated about because it's so deserved to win a game of football. Um, it reminded me, I mean, it's, it's not similar to these two goals in any way aesthetically, but it really reminded me of the goal against Everton and the goal against Tottenham in that he does it, he comes over, he stands in front and he just lifts his arms in the air as if to say, get on that. And we're, we're all going absolutely mad having the time of our lives watching it. And that should be the end. It feels like the referee should call full time just for everyone. Um, and, and it doesn't get to be, it doesn't get to be remembered as that. It, it, it comes kind of with this added context of what goes on afterwards. Um, and I mean, he, he scores enough boss goals that are remembered as winners. But I just feel like all of them should be allowed to be that. We should essentially play footy until Mohamed Salah scores. And then Liverpool win. And yeah, that's what that's so just some games are 120 minutes. That's sound. There's some eight. That's great. We'll all just get off now, ref. He's just, honestly, he just, he just makes it so enjoyable. And, and loads of that, you know, the reason that we're all having the time that we are going to match at the minute is for loads of different reasons. It's because of the way that Jürgen Klopp sets the team up. It's because there are somewhere between 11 and 15 lads that are extremely, extremely talented to play for our football team. It's because we've got this new song that we all just love standing and barking at each other for 90 minutes. Um, but he's such an integral part of it as well. He's such a genuinely fun footballer to watch because, I mean, last year the PFA player that he was Kante. And I mean, he's good at footy, but by Christ, Chelsea fans aren't going to watch him and thinking, this is great. What, what a day out this is. Um, he's just, everything about him is just, it, it instills happiness in you. Any advances? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel I can't really. Uh, feel good about it. To be honest, we have to stop this and go out. Um, now, I think. Yeah. I, th- I think the the best thing for me about that finish on on Saturday was it was so starkly in contrast to every other time he got the ball around the box. Mm. He was snatching at things. He was looking for shots that weren't on. And that one, the ball comes to him and he takes a touch, and he just it reminded me of. Um, I think it was one of the goals against Hoffenheim in the Champions League qualifiers where everything's moving so quick and then the ball gets to Firmino and it just everything just seems to go into slow motion. Everything's still going 100 miles an hour around him, but it's just like, nope, this isn't right, this isn't... Oh, now. And he takes a shot and he scores. And Firmino plays the ball across and Chan scores against Hoffenheim. It, it was one of those moments where you're like... The frustrating thing for me about it was like, oh, mate, why can't you just... You know, it was a, a wicked goal, obviously, and I can't expect you to do that all the time. But you know those bits earlier where you were just lashing stuff just because you want to win the golden boot, which I'm on board with, by the way. But 
you've shown throughout this season that you don't need to take well, on stuff that's not there. He does do all of his best work calmly. I think for what I think that's if there is something that so many of his goals do have in common, it is this sense that he just has more time than anybody else. He has more time than anybody else with the ball to his feet. He has more time than anybody else when he's approaching the ball. He has more time than anybody else when he's bearing down on goal. It is as though as though he works off his own clock, and that is you know the, the, you can, of the forty one goals, there's probably twenty five where you can sort of point that trait out that there's just endless amount of time yeah it's the ability to switch from that 100 miles an hour and just slow it right down and and like you said because of because of the speed he has in terms of his in terms of his running and and his head he's able to like you say just take his time and I think that's that's sort of the the mark of you know some of the top players you you see I I know he's been compared to Messi but you see Messi kind of going from that kind of 100 mile an hour to making a, a decision like, like as as if he's had about 10, 12 seconds to sort of slow He's watched the video before and yeah, I've exactly. gone, this is the best thing to do with the scenario. Oh, I'll just do that then. <laughs> exactly. And, and it's a finish. It's a finish you only really do if you're in, in that sort of form. I don't think you try that sort of finish unless you're in his form. And I think the last few games he's been, I don't want to say he's been quiet, but he's played in moments. You know, he's had his, he's had his little patches, you know, he, he was snatching away a little bit against... Uh, against Bournemouth as well at home and and he had that that moment with with uh, Trent's assist and I think it was the same here he, he's at his best when he I think he received the ball laid it off to Oxley Chamberlain and made the run and Chamberlain fed him and and that's when him and Liverpool are at their absolute best because it, the speed in which they can do things and incorporate two three players within the move is when you know opposition just collapse and Okay, uh, then to talk about, we're going to talk about Roman in a minute, but before then, I want to talk about the one other thing that comes out of the game. There is watching it back, uh, which, you know, you've got to do. Um, I, in the ground, I was, wasn't was that happy with what the referee was doing, but watching it back on video, um, Rick, and you, uh, to me, it's such a bad referee in performance, and, and, and we've had a few of them now, uh, and... It is. It isn't just the idea of a one-off thing, and it may well be that you know if he gives the penalty and we go two 0 then then they still come back and make it two all anyway. And I'm not, you know, it's, it's not about that really. It's just I, I do think there is this season's been about the poorest I've seen Liverpool refereed on a regular basis. The amount of games I've gone to, including games we've won, where if someone says to me afterwards, "What do you think about the ref?" I say, "I think he was crap," you know. And it's it's happening with alarm and regularity. Yeah, the, the the game on Saturday, I was I was thinking about it as I was watching the game and. He gave, he gave us a few decisions early doors that were maybe 50-50, but they weren't, it wasn't particularly wrong. But I think the crowd got on his back. Like, as soon as he gave them, a, it was the usual booing every decision and then cheering, when he, ironically, when he finally gives them one. I don't know whether that got in his head. And he's like, right, well, I've, I've clearly been too, too harsh on West Brom here. And then he proceeded to pretty much give us nothing else for the rest of the game. But... Like you say, we've there's so many games that you come away from and going, oh, this referee's terrible. Including but, games we've won, but even yeah. games we've won well, you know but, what I mean. But like, even games where where we've won well, and you kind of, oh, bloody hell, that 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 referee, he he gave nothing for them. He, he he genuinely got nothing right apart from blowing his whistle to restart a game when we've scored. Right, that's that's pretty much the extent, and and even even into realms of how much time they're adding on and things like that, which he's just like how. How how have you come up with this stuff? I'd I'd almost almost prefer it to be the games you know back in the the nineties where you just had you almost had characters who were referees and you just knew that all right well we've got uh, we've got Uriah Rennie now and he's just going to shout at people and be pretty rubbish at refereeing but that's kind of what he's about or oh, we've got that um, that lad from Middlesbrough Andy Durso. Oh, God, not there, so, but uh, <laughs> the the fellow with the bad goatee. Yeah, 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 old, old Jeff Winter. Yeah, because you, you knew what you, you knew what they were about, and then now it seems like you're looking at these referees every week going, have I seen this guy before? What's he? Oh, no, no, he's terrible. It's, as I said, you can't, Liverpool draw 2-2 two, two because Liverpool don't defend a couple of set pieces well enough, Dan. Let's be really, really clear on that. Yeah. But they could also be playing playing against a side that is down to 10 men. Uh, they're like clearly to me that he's he's punching things there on the floor I don't think he's punching them that hard but he's punching them on the floor I don't quite see what his game is I think it is a penalty you know but it's more it's more the the cliche of it evens itself out over the over the whole of the season and that just does not seem to be happening there's some Paul Tompkins stuff that's doing the rounds about how few penalties players from abroad get um for me, it's remarkable the amount of time we spend on the attack and the amount of time we spend in the opposition area, how few penalty kicks we get. 
It feels like we're going a bit refs of Brexit here, doesn't it? But I'm, I'm into it. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the one that got me at the weekend, because um, I, I didn't know about the, the, the punch thing until long afterwards. Um, and also, when I saw the the penalty instance, if you want to call it that, I wasn't convinced at the time. Um, I mean, we all shouted for it because you shouted for it anyway. But I, I wasn't convinced. The one that really got me was... Um, well, the, the thing that's it's going to stick with me anyway was at 2-2... West Bram had a set piece and Liverpool broke from it. And James Miller was carrying the ball down the left-hand side. And he knocks it past Alan Neom. And Alan Neom thinks, he's in. And he clears him out. He clears him out on the touchline. Miller's just gone into, it, gone into uh, the West Bram half. And Neom thinks, take the booking. I'm taking the booking. And he turns around and <laughs> he looks at the referee as if to say, get it over and done with, lads, so we can all line up to defend. And the referee looks at the linesman. The linesman looks at the referee. And he just, he just have this this perfect moment, this second. It's, it was borderline romantic, if I'm honest, where they just <laughs> stared at each other, waiting for waiting for each other to make a decision. The referee going, you call that as a free kick, lad, because I'm not. <laughs> and the line is going, don't you look at me. Um, and that, neither of them did anything and, and I, I do think there's a kind of trend towards not wanting to make a decision um, and I know that it has absolutely nothing to do with that it doesn't exist and it's not going to be the Premier League next year but I sort of think it's to do with the whole VAR thing um, in that it's, it's quite literally taking responsibility away from them um, so I, I assume that that referee what was it was it, was it Atwell? Atwell. It was Atwell I assume that that referee has refed in the FA Cup at some point this season um, and I think I think it's weird to go from being a referee where one week you've got someone checking what you're doing, and if if you're wrong, it's going to tell you, or if you've missed something, it's going to tell you. To the week after, you you you've just got to see it, and it's completely and utterly it, your responsibility. It may not even be that though, Dan, in that they only get assessed on the decisions that they make. Yeah, exactly. So, so literally, like, yeah. the referee's assessor only assesses them on the decisions that they make. So yeah. it might well be at that point of the game, he's not quite sure either way. And he thinks to himself, you know what, I'll just give nothing here. Then at which point it's not usually... I, I also think there's a part of him, because that, that's the one that really stuck out to me. But generally, West Brom, got, West Brom got a lot towards the end of the game in comparison to Liverpool. Um, I didn't really notice the referee an awful lot, to be honest, I don't think, until that final sort of 15-20. And you can say if you want that coincides with Liverpool playing poorly, whatever. But I, I think he was aware of the narrative... Um, and I think it's I think it's innately human to be aware of the narrative. It's not a robot stood there in the middle. He's very aware of the context of the football season. He's also, no matter what they say, a football fan. Every single one of them at some point in their lives has been a football fan. He knows what's going on around him there. He knows that if West Brom win that game of footy and it leads them to win next week and then, you know, they're only three points off or whatever it would be. Um, he knows that it'll get to play back in five years' time. He knows that he, he was there. He lived that, you know what I mean? Um, and as much as that shouldn't be the case, I, I, I think it's I think it's almost natural to feel like that if you're just in theory an impartial observant because you can't ignore all the stuff that's going on around you. Okay, then moving forward, Fuad, on to Liverpool versus Roma. Um, there is, it's fair to say, one of the biggest games of how old are you, Fuad? Nineteen. You're nineteen, aren't yeah. you? And this is the probably the biggest game of your life. Uh, certainly the biggest game of your life at Anfield we can have a conversation about the Europa League final but the biggest game you'll ever attend at Anfield Dan how old are you? 23 exactly uh, that's one of the reasons why I booked him on the show Rick don't pull the face <laughs> at me I know me and you are significantly older than that and neither of us have I don't think there's anyone older than us currently playing professional football uh, in the top flight who isn't a goalkeeper although Gareth, Gareth Barry long may he continue um <laughs> It is. It's your journey and your story a little bit, Fuad. In that, you know, this is. I'm 25 for 05. Uh, obviously, I don't get any European glory before then. I'm three at the time of 84. The point is that this is. These don't come around very often, and this is the biggest night of your life. Definitely. I mean, it feels. It's felt special since since the first group stage game. To be really honest, just because the pure excitement of having European football at the highest level back in Anfield, and and I, I just think it's it's something that's really been needed in terms of the club and, and the younger fan base just because there hasn't been a lot to kind of get excited about over the last few years you know we had 13 14 and, and that's really it but for a lot of us who kind of in our in our prime maybe or in our youth sort of enjoying <laughs> not in your enjoy- prime lads not, not our prime. <laughs> <laughs> i'll be the judge of that go on it's um it i saw you on like- saturday neil and you were very much in your prime <laughs> that's all i want to hear um and it definitely feels like um it feels something really special. I think. I think no matter what happens, we're gonna. It's gonna be something that's gonna really unite and and not, not necessarily kind of bring bring the younger generation into, like, I'm not sure how to quite put it in words, but 
it's something that in the next few years we'll look back at and we'll still think, look, we had that. And and that's something that we can hold on to and, and we can kind of use that to build and, and just, you know, build on getting glory back, you know, with Jürgen and, and the exciting players he's got. Um, there is... It's interesting for what there's mentioned the group game. I think he probably actually means Hoffenheim at home, Dan, because I remember watching mm-hmm. us against Hoffenheim at home and Hoffenheim are a tidy enough German side and we absolutely dismantled them at home. And I remember thinking, aye, aye, these German, German football players to a certain pace and these lads can't live with what we can do here. They can't get near it, in fact. And if that was, you know, if that was Bayern Munich doing to them in the Bundesliga, you'd all be looking at each other going, Christ, Bayern are good. It was us doing it to them um, in what was their biggest game of the season. Mm-hmm. We absolutely undressed them. And I remember thinking from that point, we're on a, we're on a certain march we're on a trajectory we'll need a bit of luck you always do it's cup football but this this looks like something I completely agree with you I've kind of I mean I don't think anyone believed that we were going to get to the European Cup semi-finals or possibly win the European Cup since the half and nine game but you were aware of some, of something going on you were, you were, you were aware of a vibe um, and I, it's really hard to you know it's not tangible um, but it means that your approach to the football to being out with your mates like completely changes. Um, I got I got really really drunk with Dan Moore and Josh Exton after the West Brom at the weekend, and uh, started talking about all this sort of stuff about how much we're enjoying it and that. And I think especially for for people sort of our age, um, it's we're, we're very much creating these like experiences that we that we're going to all remember forever. Um, because we've grown up with the people who've got us into football, who've told us about, you know, depending on all the other, told us about Tenetian, or they've told us about the finals in the 80s, or they've told us about Chelsea in 05. Um, and although we're around for that, we're not um, we're not aware of it in the sense that everybody else is. Um, and we we need this, because we, we haven't really had it before. We had the Europa League. Um, but it's it's kind of, it's a, it's a little bit dumbed down the Europa League by the end result, and also the fact that it was the Europa League, um, and that it didn't, in the end, really amount to any Liverpool didn't get back into the European Cup that season, um, but it's it, it it just means that we're all it's it, it's all these tiny little like butterfly effect things that have happened in the course of human history. Um, <laughs> the night that, that have led us to no, this it's stage. Uh, Mohamed Salah's parents deciding to engage in whatever they did on the night he was born. Um, Mohamed Salah being bought by Liverpool Football Club, and he was um, us all meeting each other in the ways that we did all leads to this place where we're all living these like wonderful, wonderful experiences it's, together over something that is innately daft. It's good to know, Rick, that Dan's still so young, he thinks that uh, he thinks that you, you get conceived and born on the same yes, night. Exactly. No, 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 that's, no, that's, that's right. <laughs> it's absolutely fine, Dan. Um, there is, it is not, the other thing is, people keep saying to me, oh, are we where you think Klopp would want to be in the trajectory? And I think that you can have a trajectory that's based around what you want to be competing for and where you want to be in the league. But some years... A cup run just opens up for you. Some years a cup just becomes alive and it's there for you because of circumstances outside your control, because you're playing a certain way. It the stars align basically. It's not about a plan, a long term plan. I'm sure if you said to Jurgen Klopp, would you like at some point to get a European Cup semi final in your six years at Liverpool? He'd say, absolutely. He'd say, I might want two or three of them. But, you know, he would say at the same time, listen, you can get, you know, uh, when City put all that pressure on the first half of the, the second leg, they could have got another. And then there could have been a contentious referee indecision. And suddenly it's 3 0. Some years it just all comes together both in terms of what there is around you and the performance it's a real opportunity this I think to put the hammer down for the Reds the, 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 this is a European Cup Liverpool can win now oh yeah there's there's all, all been the talk of you know it, you've got to be wary of Roma and what they did to Barcelona in the, the second leg and this that and the other but if if you'd honestly asked any Liverpool player or fan or anyone associated with the club going into that semi-final draw who do you want it's Roma and, you know, that is no dis- disrespect to Roma. It's your choice between Bayern or Real or Roma. It's going to be Roma. And I'm, I'm just, I'm really looking forward to it on the basis that back in uh, Benitez's era, it got to, I remember saying before the final in uh, 2007, oh, this is great, this. And someone going to me, this isn't going to last forever. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And then, <laughs> and but then the next couple of seasons became, oh, well, it's more about the league. We're not that, you know, getting to Champions League finals. We've done that. We do that all the time. It's no, no, no big effort. We've had ten years without this kind of stuff. This is well, that's even a sniff is, of it. Exactly. This is this is getting those memories back and realizing that you can't take them for granted. 
Okay, uh, Roma interestingly played four five one away at Bayern. They played three five two at home to them. My point though is going to become Liverpool are going to do what Liverpool are going to do. I don't think there's going to be many surprises mm-hmm. in Liverpool's selection. So let me just tell you what Liverpool's team is going to be. <laughs> it's going to be Loris, Loris Carius in goal. It's going to be. And by the way, if anyone's listening from Roma, this is sounds Loris Carius in goal. It's going to be Alexander Arnold right back, Robertson left back. It's going to be Lovren and Van Dijk centre back. Jordan Henderson's going to play as the deepest line midfielder. Oxley Chamberlain's going to be looking to break the lines. The front three are going to be Salah, Firmino, and Mane. Um, Who's the other lad? Fuad. Milner. Dan? Jimmy Milner. It's, that's three from three. Three from three for James Milner. Listen, it's a huge opportunity. It's the first leg. Liverpool cannot win this in the first leg, nor, I would venture, can they lose it. This is one that's going to be all about the second leg and Liverpool positioning themselves. I don't think they can pull far enough away, uh, but it isn't going to be one either way. We're going to be out of it regardless, even if we need to go and win in Rome. Well, we win in Rome. Thank you very much to Fuad. Thank you very much to Dan. Thank you very much to Rick. What a fantastic Anfield wrap this is. What a joy to be alive, even after drawing 2-2 with West Bromwich Albion. So that's the Anfield Wrap in association with Red's Bet. Sports Social Podcast Network.